Wisconsin Name Taken Podcast. Welcome to episode five. I am your host, Michael Marshall. Each week, I celebrate the unique stories and shared Michael Marshall experiences of another Michael Marshall somewhere else in the world. I'm switching it up a little bit this week with our very first historical episode, in which I examine the life of a Mike Marshall who has since traveled to the great Michael Marshall beyond. This week, I'll be exploring the life of co-creator of the hacky sack, Mike Marshall. Now, I want to be clear about a few things before I get started. There were a number of people involved in creating the modern hacky sack, and as you might imagine, hacky sack-like games have been around for thousands of years. So when I say co-creator of the hacky sack, I am saying first that there would be no hacky sack without Mike Marshall. Mike specifically innovated the footbag brand name Hacky Sack. He contributed to the modern round-sewn footbag design filled with those plastic pellets. And he was vital to creating the rules of play for official footbag tournaments. Mike was a central figure along with John Stahlberger, Linda Roberts, a still unnamed inmate. Mike hacked the sack within prison. And additionally, many communities across Oregon and Washington State who were early adopters of this now global activity. Mike is so integral to the story of Hacky Sack that the World Footbag Hall of Fame has a special annual award for excellence named after him. I was lucky enough to come across this award on a Google search for Michael Marshalls and instantly knew there must be an amazing story here. Amazing because hacky sack is a globally recognizable term and activity. It's ubiquitous, so much so that I don't even have to explain what it is to you. It's hacky sack. You probably even have one sitting around somewhere nearby. It's the same as frisbees or hula hoops or Star Wars. It's simply part of our culture. It's unsurprising to me that a Michael Marshall played a pivotal role in making that happen. I'm sorry to say this Mike Marshall passed away early on in the story of Hacky Sack. So in order to learn more about him, I connected with other key figures in the world of Footbag. I'm pulling out all the stops here to introduce them like this is a high production NPR style podcast. I can probably safely say that there's not another Bruce Goodich on the planet. <laughs> uh, at least not spelled the way uh, mine is spelled. And, uh, <laughs> And, uh, but uh, Mike Marshall's, wow, that's, that's great. This is Bruce. Bruce is a Hall of Fame footbagger, recipient of the Mike Marshall Award and co-founder of the World Footbag Association. While he never met Mike Marshall, he does curate the world's most extensive historical archive of footbag. He also possesses a commanding knowledge of the sport's key facts and figures. Check this out. Yeah. Well, you are you are in the home of some real footbag celebrities. Is that right? The guy that holds uh, the Guinness Book for most kicks in a row lives in um, Des Plaines. Oh no way! Yeah. How many? Uh, how many kicks? Sixty-three thousand three hundred twenty-six. Yo! Wow. You're also going to be hearing a lot from this incredible woman. Michael died. Yeah. Of course, I was devastated. Johnny was devastated. I continued to be involved in hacky sack, but I've never been a kicker. Sure. I mean, I wasn't the one that was out there kicking. I was the one baking the cookies, holding down the job, 
you, you financed the operation. Yeah, yes. mostly. But even when Johnny and I were just friends after Mike died, I still would go to the tournaments and keep score and be a support system. And <laughs> I was just always the mother of hacky sack, the support system. No, I don't want to kick. The mother of hacky sack. You heard that right. While a lot of published histories that I've seen only cite John and Mike as the creators, you'll discover that Linda Roberts played an equally vital, critical role in its history. Linda was Mike's wife and was there contributing to Hacky Sack's development from the beginning. I'm so happy we can learn from her story and her memories of Mike in this episode, too. I spoke to Bruce and Linda separately, but because they're speaking about the same events, I try my best to put their responses and recollections in a sort of dialogue. I think the effect is especially cool when they approach aspects of the life of Mike and the story of Hacky Sack from different angles. Also, just a heads up, we recorded all of this by phone. It's tough to find a free cell phone recorder on Android that doesn't make everything sound like an AM radio. So while I did my best to clean up the recordings, they aren't perfect. Fortunately, the stories are so rich and the storytellers are so charismatic that I don't think you'll notice or care. If you do notice and aren't pleased, however, feel free to click my bio link on Twitter or Instagram and donate to Name Taken Podcast so that I can buy some fancier equipment. So here we go. The Life and Times of Hacky Sack co-creator, Mike Marshall. Yeah, so uh, thanks uh, thanks again for talking to me, Bruce. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Uh, I'm happy to talk with such a celebrity. Right. So we were, before, when I was still working out the, the technical kinks here, you were talking a little bit about the significance of the name Mike Marshall. Could you could you say roughly what you you just told me about fifteen minutes ago again? Yeah, uh, well, certainly anyone who is um, in the upper crust of of the sport of footbag knows the history very well and knows the significance of of both Mike Marshall and John Stahlberger as the co-creators of the brand of Hacky Sack. Uh, when that name comes up, I think everybody immediately jumps into the, oh, man, you are royalty. Uh, unfortunately, I, I never did get a chance to meet Mike. Mike was always a free spirit. He, he was the second of five brothers. And his parents one day when he was five had a fight. They both went separate ways and left all five children alone for two weeks before the grandma found them and took the boys, five crazy wild boys. So they were all like seven or eight to two or three. When they found the boys living alone, the parents just disappeared for many, many years. He was raised by his grandma Mm -hmm. and the grandma's brother, so that would have been his great uncle. So he was raised in a very strict religious family, and then that's why he graduated Oregon City High School, joined the Navy right away just to get out and see the world, because Mike was the freest spirit I've ever met. So when he became a hippie, you look up hippie, and Mike was definitely a hippie. And he decided... I don't want to go back. Uh, and uh, he decided to go AWOL. He went AWOL. So when he got picked up being AWOL, he got picked up for hitchhiking 
from San Francisco back to Oregon City where he was going to see his family and I don't know if he planned on going back to the Navy or not, but when they picked him up, he had a little bit of marijuana that another ride he had had before had given him some pot, and the next person that picked him up after that was Clackamas County cops. Then when they searched him, because hitchhiking was illegal, especially on I-5, the freeway, um, he got busted for pot and put in Oregon Correctional Institute, which he did over two years. In his cell or in the courtyard or somewhere within the penitentiary, he ran into a Native American Indian who had this game mm-hmm. that was played with your feet. I really don't know anything other than he was a Native American that was in there too, and they became friends, and they just would would kick the footbag together. So do you know, So so Mike comes out of... Mike comes out of jail with with this game. Um, did he tell you kind of like how he collaborated on that? Is was this originally a Native American game, or was it something that they invented together, or how did they? Play, well, the Native American already had the, had had a they made it had a bean bag or something. They had a bean bag. And then when Mike came out of prison, because he was just a hippie with no TV, no house, no nothing mm-hmm. else, you just it was fun to go hack the sack and you know play. Tacky sack. So it just started that it was a fun thing for him to do. It sure. didn't cost any money. Yeah. And it was a good exercise if you're drinking your quart of beer and having sure. a couple of smoking a joint. It was just the next logical thing instead of sitting around. You would just go, well, let's do this. Let's play this. And I guess as stories go, uh, this one has a happy ending because it, he came out of prison and had this fun experience and this fun new game uh, that he um, toted around with him. And when he got out of prison, finally, you know, he didn't really, I don't think he had any jobs. When I met him at a party in like 1971, he was living with his brother in a camp down by the Clackamas River. So they didn't have a job. They didn't have a home. They just lived by the river and always got food and enough money to buy. His favorite thing was buy, getting a dollar to buy a quart of Bohemian beer. <laughs> so for 99 cents, you could get a quart of cheap beer. Somebody always had a little bit of food and a sandwich. They were just hippies that went to parties, you know, kind of scammed their way through um, a couple of years. When I met him, he was still living at the river, but winter was coming on. <laughs> so... I, as a junior in high school, I took him under my wing. He was 25. Okay. And you're 16, 17? And I was 17. So he was really my first boyfriend. I can't really say we were going out because we would just go to parties or go to the river. And as winter came on, I snuck him into my mom's had a tool shed that wasn't attached to the house. I have three little sisters. And I hid Mike out for quite a few months before we got busted. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> they knew that he was my boyfriend before they knew he was in the shed. But my sisters knew, and they would play hacky sack in the front yard, his okay. friends. And this was before he met Johnny. Him and his brothers and the neighborhood kids, because they were kind of kids. We were all kids. He was a kid. would play hacky sack, and he we would make hacky sacks out of upholstery material 
and any kind of filler that we could. Rice, beans, we usually used food for filler at that point. We'd make them out of either denim or upholstery material because my dad worked for a carpet company and there was always, he always had samples of upholstery material. Sure. Now the back of his couch. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, a, a, a back pocket of his jeans, uh, you know, and these were all um, sampled ones that Linda had provided for, for World Foot Bag to have on display uh, in, in our office. And So we weren't like cutting up the couches or anything by then. Good. But me and all my sisters were all in cutoffs. <laughs> all of our jeans had been cut off. And used for foot bags because it was so easy to lose them. Right, okay. It was probably, I'm not sure, it was sometime during that time. Mike lived in the shed. We didn't get caught until I moved him in the attic because it was too cold in the shed. (laughs) And that's when they knew that my boyfriend, of which my dad was furious, my mom is really sweet. She kind of put up because she knew we loved each other. But Mike had long curly hair. Really bad teeth with a lot of them missing, but he was very charming and sure. funny and full of life. Okay. And he was still a God-fearing man for being a crazy uh, smoking hippie. And he met John Stahlberger at a, uh, at a at a special festival in Oregon, mm-hmm. and um, they were standing in line together in a, a venue somewhere, and Mike had pulled out this crazy little kicking thing that... He met Johnny at the, they met at the 4th of July local county fair where they worked together in the time toss booth. Mike had a job. By the next summer, he at least had a car, he was a more of a carny for probably a couple of weeks. My parents didn't like it at all. And even when he did get caught living in the attic and got kicked out, I still was sneaking him in sometimes. But he then moved in to somebody else's shed with his brother. (laughs) But him and Johnny became really good friends. And what's crazy is I introduced Johnny to my best friend. And both of us are named Linda. And we were quite the fun foursome for a very long time. While Johnny, he didn't always have a job either. I think his longest job was working at a lumber mill, a sawmill, pulling boards off of the board chain thing. Mm -hmm. So they got together. They were friends. They would just sit around hacking the sack, talking about how to make this into into a real sport and all their long-range dreams and desires. One of the common grounds uh, of the game was that they would always say, hey, let's go Let's go hack the sack. Yeah, come on. Let's go hack the sack. And from that, mm-hmm. the brand name of Hacky Sack was born. And eventually, we, we moved in together. When Mike got a real job for a while, and we were able to rent a house. We both worked. Johnny moved into the basement and lived with Mike and I as they continued kicking foot bag and following their dream and working here or there, but nothing very serious. Neither one of them were serious about a job because by now this is probably, if I graduated in 72, it took a couple of years for them to kind of settle down and pay bills a little bit. When they really started making the foot bags, 
they went from the rice and beans that I was getting for commodity foods before mm-hmm. food stamps. You would just go get the food that the county would would allocate to you. They used uh, rocks and they used peas and dried up peas, and they uh, found that um, you know all of the different things that they they tried were either too heavy or it didn't break. It broke down over kicking. Uh, it, it just it had didn't have the right feel to it. Um, we would run out of rice and beans, and macaroni wouldn't hold up. So we started using buttons, and all of our moms and friends had button collections. Um, and then back in the early days, of course, a foot bag, a hacky sack, uh, had to be, in our eyes, durable. Uh, we kicked it, we stomped on, stomped on it occasionally, and so we thought, well, they have to be... They have to hold up well, so sure. we have to make them out of really thick cowhide leather. And and then pretty soon they switched from the denim and the cheaper materials to we had a friend that um, did leather because that's what hippies did. They made stuff out of leather, lampshades sure. <laughs> and and pot holders and little bags and stuff. Okay. So it eventually grew to where they were making it out of leather and filling it with buttons and furthering their how to, you know, how to make the hacky sacks last longer. And it just kind of grew in the area. All the kids, all the people, everybody, that was the fun thing to do. Uh, the filler material was another, um, I, I guess, a brain child that came along um, by accident. They, Mike and John were uh, walking along some railroad tracks, and they found um, some plastic discs that were like the punch out of chicken coops along the railroad, um, just a little scattered along the side. And they found these plastic discs to be like the perfect filler material, like buttons almost. And then um, eventually they found that they were grinding those plastic discs up and having more of a pellet-like uh, filler gave the foot bag a different reaction and a much more consistent kick off of the shoe. And and uh, so that's uh, that's how the the filler material came to be. So we lived together. Johnny and Mike and I lived together, and they were just kept working on it. And by then, we had a little bit bigger house, and they would play in the living room all the time. And I was working then. I was supporting everybody. Okay. I had a job managing a gas station, and I just would come home and go, hey, you guys, the furniture would all be pushed up against the wall. They'd roll up the carpet. It smelled like a locker room in there. You know, they had kicked my cat. They had kicked plants over. You know, they were kind of wild sometimes sure. as they were honing their skills. So I would just say, I don't care if it's raining. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> this isn't a locker room. I've got to cook dinner. Please go play outside, boys. And they usually would. It wasn't too much longer after that that Mike died of a heart attack next to me in bed. And, and that was in 1972 when John and Mike met. And uh, they went on um, continuing their their sport and their activity for for three years. And then Mike um, tragically died uh, at the age of 28 mm. uh, of, a, of a heart embolism. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, yeah, killed him in his sleep at, at the age of 28. So Johnny had moved out. He moved into this house that I still live in. He, at that point, Johnny wanted to go back to school there's a community college that's a half an hour away. So he went back to school for, I forget what he was taking. 
wanted to play baseball, and him and my best friend Linda came to this house, rented it, got married in the yard. So that was August of 73. And then that January, Mike died of a heart attack in bed when I lived in Oregon City with him. We were married by then. He just had a blood clot that stuck in his heart, and he died in his sleep. But that was probably six or eight months after they had actually got enough money to apply for a patent and do a patent search. So when Mike died, the patent wasn't granted yet. So it kind of dashed a lot of hopes at that point, and Mike and um, uh, John just uh, John just uh, eventually just said, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of stuck here. And um, he, he, he went into, I, I guess, a, a little bit of a lull with the game, and um, then eventually he said, no, you know, this is what Mike would have wanted. I, I'm going to continue to push this down the road. Mike's legacy was amazing, and it still makes me proud. I get goosebumps. I still cry sometimes. Even after 45 or 50, 45 years, I think, since he died, or is our anniversary, I don't know, I still miss him. So I can still cry at this. <laughs> See, I get choked up now a little bit because I still love him and I could still just cry at the drop of a hat because I, you know, I couldn't save his life. He died in bed next to me. I tried to give him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. I did everything I could and he just was dead. But it's a lot for a 20-year-old. It was still kind of hard and it took me a long time to get over that. I just, he was a really, a very free spirit a very likable, conniving, lovable guy. <laughs> so that's it for this episode. But I have so much material focused on the history of Hacky Sack at large that it would be a shame to bury it just because it isn't all about a Michael Marshall. So if you loved this episode and you want to hear more from Bruce and Linda about Hacky Sack, Make sure you subscribe to or follow Name Taken Podcast so you don't miss out on the very soon-to-be-released bonus episode with even more tales from the history of Footbag. I'd like to thank Bruce and Linda for sharing their terrific stories as well as their captivating passion for their cherished pastime and community. And please, please go check out worldfootbag.com. Stick it to Amazon and buy something from Bruce. Get back into Hacky Sack. And of course, thanks to Miles Kalchik for my intro and outro jams. That's it for this episode. If you or someone you know is a Michael Marshall, or if you just have a common name, reach out and share your story. Thanks. Thanks.